Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, it's good to see you all. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor of mobilization and multiplication here at Calvary. It's a bit of a mouthful. Most people just think I'm a missions guy. That, that works for me. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, a lot of great things going on in the life of our church. But before we get into that, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you who are dads. So thankful for you and, and the influence that you continue to have in your family. And uh, we're going to talk more about Father's Day as we get along <clears throat> in this sermon. Um, but I also want to say happy June 19th. Juneteenth. Maybe you didn't know, but we have a new federal holiday this year that celebrates literally the time after, it took almost six months after Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation to free slaves throughout the country, and Juneteenth celebrates that here in Texas. And uh, they made it a federal holiday today. Uh, this, this, today is the first day that they've done this uh, federally. And uh, it recognizes and remembers the day that slaves were freed in Galveston. And it's become a celebration point all across the country. Praise God that you live in a country that, that welcomes and wants freedoms for all people. Amen? Amen. It took a long time for that to go from uh, the, the freedoms that we gained in the Revolutionary War for it to finally be freedoms that were spread to all the people in our country. And even now today, we can pray that there, if there were anybody that's oppressed or overlooked, that God would bring freedom to their lives uh, anywhere in the world is a powerful thing. So celebrate that with us today. Our sermon today is going to be continuing our series in Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews at the end of ha- uh, chapter 4, moving into chapter 5. And uh, before we get into that, I want to tell you a story because we're going to talk about this idea of priesthood. The title of today's sermon is that Jesus is the better high priest. And uh, we're going to talk about what that means. But I want to start by saying that a high priest has specific responsibilities. If If you boil it down to its most simplest, a high priest is responsible to represent God to the people and to represent people to God. And so the high priest in the Old Testament would also be all, uh, always be the guy that would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take the sacrifice that represents the atonement for the entire nation and, and, and pray that God would forgive all of the sin for the whole nation at one time. <clears throat> that was the role for the high priest, to represent the people and their sin to God and then also to represent God <clears throat> to those people. And so as we get into this, I want to tell you a quick story. When I was born, uh, I was born early, about six weeks early, according to my dad, and I was five pounds, and, uh, and they said that my lungs were not quite developed well, and I, I, I got a, a, a baby sickness, I don't remember what it was called, and, and so my, my weight was really, really low, but within three days, I had gone from five pounds down to three pounds, and uh, the doctors told my dad that they didn't think I was going to make it. And so my dad wasn't a believer at the time, but what do people do when they start to get desperate? Well, he went to Seton Hospital and looked until he found a little chapel and he got on his knees in that chapel and he prayed that God, who was not, again, a part of dad's life really at that time, but prayed that God would save me. And he prayed that if God would save me, that that he would dedicate my life to ministry and to whatever God's purposes might be. Now, just keep in mind, dad didn't know the Lord at that time. He wasn't a practicing believer or a Christian. Um, But he was desperate, and that's what desperate people do. And I just want to give that as a simple example of my dad acting as a high priest in that moment. He knew his son, I was his oldest son, his first child was was dying, and he felt like it was his responsibility, even as a non-believer, to go before God and represent my needs. Now, obviously, I'm here. I didn't die. God, God answered dad's prayer. And, uh, and years later, our family became believers, and I became uh, someone in ministry. It definitely was not uh, tasked to me when I was old enough. Son, 
the Lord delivered you and you're going to be in ministry. No, he never said anything like that. It was, it was, it was God's working in my heart that, that brought this to me. But I want you to have that example of, of what it looks like for a father to represent his family to God and for, for that father later in life to represent God to me. You know, as we, as we get into this story, um, there's a lot of different pieces to this. And I want to start where Pastor Julio kind of ended last week. He ended reading a verse out of chapter 4, verse 12. And I want to read it to you. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And listen to this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This idea, the word, is such an important idea that we, that we think about all through Scripture. You might think of Psalm 119.11 that says, um, uh, <clears throat> I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was written by King David. If you think about this idea, David, uh, this idea that the word lives in us and that it can, what's it say? Judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's such an important concept. Because when we talk about being a high priest, we want to represent God to our families and represent our families to God. How do you know what God is saying if you're not familiar with his word? Now, oftentimes we, we tell people that God's word is in his scriptures, right? We, we hold up the Bible and say, this is God's word. But God's word is more than just what's in those papers, what's in, what's in those pages. What we find in scripture is how God's word has worked in the lives of people throughout history. But the word of God lives in us and it speaks to us. And it helps us to know and judge our attitudes and the thoughts of our heart. It helps us to gauge what is right and wrong. And, and I just want to give you a quick example of that. You might think of like King David. When David first comes on the scene, he's a young shepherd boy. And if you remember, he's delivering cheese to his brother's armies. Right? The armies of Israel are camped out. They're fighting against the Philistines. And this shepherd boy shows up to deliver cheese to his brother's. When he's there, he finds out that there's a champion on the bad guy's side, on the, Philippi the Philippines, Philippines. He's not Philippians and he's not Filipino. He's a Philistine <laughs> named Goliath. He's like the opposite of most of the Filipinos I know, unless you know Chris Branya. He's a pretty big kid. Anyway, um, Goliath is this huge Philistine and, and the, the Jewish armies, the Israelites, are terrified of him. So when David shows up on the scene, listen to what happens. Think about how the word of God in his heart challenged David. David's his boy, and he says, why are you guys afraid of this, king, this giant? Like, God can deliver the giant into our hands. And so he ends up getting in front of King Saul, and Saul says, listen, David, you're young. There's really nothing you can do. And David says, no, God delivered me from the hand of the bear. He delivered me from the hand of the lion. He can deliver me from this giant as well. So King Saul, who's the king, by the way, the king has the responsibility to, deliver, to, to defend his people. He has the responsibility to fight the enemies of Israel. He has a whole army behind him that has the same responsibility. And then he says, okay, David, listen, I'm going to give you my armor. I'm going to give you my sword. And what does David say? I can't fight in this. Right? So listen to this. The king who has the responsibility to defend his people sends out the 13-year-old boy. Have you ever seen like Sunday school pictures? Some of them have him in like a robe. Some of them have him like in a loincloth, like this little skinny kid, you know, walking down to the brook. He picks out some, some rocks. And then he decides he's going to fight against the giant. Well, think about the giant. This isn't just like any good soldier, which there's lots of really good soldiers. 
This is one that's remarkable, even by today's standards. They say he was over nine feet tall. So we were talking about this with the youth the other day, and I was like, how big is nine feet tall? And they're like, Shaquille O'Neal? I'm like, that's seven feet tall. Seven foot two inches. Put two feet on top of Shaq, and now we're getting close. Yao Ming is like seven foot five, right? He's a tall guy. But Shaq doesn't even, not Shaq, Goliath doesn't even have to jump to put a basket, to put the, the ball in the basketball hoop. Like this guy is massive. And so this soldier, this champion of the Philistines defies God himself. He even says, today I'm gonna deliver you and I'm gonna cut off your head. I'm, you're gonna, the, the, the birds of the field are gonna eat your flesh. He said all these terrible things. And David says, I'm gonna stand before you on behalf of God and God's gonna deliver you into my hands, right? You get this crazy story. What is God saying to David? What is going on in David's heart that makes him willing to be this young teenage boy with no military background or training to go up against a, a Goliath? Something inside of him has given him strength and confidence to know that if God is with him, the giant's got nothing on him. And so when I talk about this idea that God's word dwells in us, that's the kind of word. You know, if David had heard God say, I want you to fight Goliath, and David said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm only a 13-year-old boy with no training. What would that have been for David? What would it have been? There's no law. Like, it isn't like the Ten Commandments and Commandment 11 fight giants. No, like there was no written rule that says David had to fight Goliath. But God's law in his heart said, I'm with you and I'm calling you to do this. Maybe everyone else was sinning against God. Maybe, maybe King Saul, who had the responsibility to fight the giant and didn't do it. Or maybe all the other army that had the responsibility to fight the, the, the giant and didn't do it. Maybe they sinned against God. But for David, God called him specifically to this thing. And he was obey, obedient to the word of God in his heart. And there was no one outside saying, hey, David, I think you're strong enough. You should go do this. It wasn't in his own strength. It was absolutely ridiculous to think that this boy could kill that giant. And yet we know how that story ended. I want you to see that this word that judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart is core to being a priest like Jesus. And so first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is the perfect picture of God's word. He's the only human in all of history that did it perfectly. He heard God's word in his heart and he responded appropriately every single time. When he was tempted, when he was afraid, when he was overwhelmed with fear before the, the, the crucifixion, he did what God told him to do even when it cost him everything. That Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus is the perfect example of what that looked like. This concept of this word hidden in our heart, it's the foundational piece of our Christian faith. And fathers, for us, it's a foundational piece to leading our family well. If you're gonna represent God to your family, and if you're gonna represent your family to God, knowing and understanding and hearing the voice of God inside you is an absolute core competency. <laughs> It's something that we have to know and understand. It's that word that speaks to our hearts and helps us to decipher good from bad, evil and good, right and wrong. 
But you know, it's not just that. It's not just the word as it lives itself inside of us. It's the second thing I want you to know is that Jesus is the perfect picture of the royal priest. Jesus defines what it means to represent God well and to represent people to God well. He did it so perfectly. Look at verses uh, chapter 4, 14 through 16. It says, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is representing us perfectly before God. And so let us hold firmly. Let us get tight grips on this faith that we profess. You know, it's, it's amazing because oftentimes in our world today, we kind of separate um, roles, right? We have maybe new believers at a, at, a, at a role and we have church members that are role. And we have maybe elder or, or older church members who've been around for a long time. Then we have clergy and maybe each of those in its own way feels like hierarchy. But in our, in our Christian faith, we say that all believers are priests. There is no mediator between you and God. And so you can represent yourself. You're the high priest of yourself. Meeting and reaching out to God and seeking him and trying to, to represent yourself to God and God to yourself. All this kind of, But in our families, the parents kind of have a different role, right? Our families, the parents have this, this role of priesthood over the family. And fathers, you have a role of high priest in your home. That means you represent your family, your wife, your children to God and you represent God to your wife and family. That's a big responsibility when we're talking about how Jesus gave us an example of perfection, isn't it? There's times when we just aren't enough and praise God for the mercy that we have from God, that we can approach his, grace, his throne of grace with confidence, knowing that because of the sacrifice of his son, we are forgiven and we are free and we are able to lead and love our families well. Amen. And praise God for fathers. Pray for fathers. Pray that they would fulfill that high priestly duty well. That they would represent their families to God and represent God to their families. I want you to know that Jesus is also the perfect picture of a mature Christian. <laughs> if you go with me, just to skip down just a little bit to Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, it says this. It says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because no, you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. We're gonna stop there for a second. This is a really interesting thing about Hebrews chapter four. It kind of tells us that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a, a mature Christian audience that is not acting mature. He, he says, by now you should be teachers, but instead you're still drinking milk like you're an infant. He says, I'd like to tell you more about these things, but you're not gonna even understand. You don't even try to understand. And then he finishes, look at verse 14, it says, but solid food is for the mature. Now listen to how he defines mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
It kind of sounds like that other verse we just read, right? That the, the word of God divides flesh from bone and joint from marrow. And, and then it says it, under, it helps us understand the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's the same picture here that the mature, by constant use, by understanding and listening constantly, by, by knowing God's word, by continuing to act as God would want us to act, by constant use, we can understand and distinguish the difference between good and evil. I've been uh, walking our uh, Sunday school class. I teach a class at 8 a.m. every Sunday, and, uh, and the class has been going through the book of Jonah the last few, uh, few weeks. It's four chapters, so it's only it's a short book. And Jonah's a really crazy, fun story. Um, if, if you've read it very much, everyone knows that he got swallowed by a fish. But I, I want you to know a little bit before that, Jonah is supposed to represent God to his people. He's a prophet of God that was an advisor to the king at the time. And so he was a representative of God to his entire nation. But when God's word speaks to Jonah, and God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, what does Jonah do? He goes the exact opposite direction. If you look on a map, Israel, Nineveh's this way, he gets a boat to go to Tarshish. It's the other direction. So listen to this story. The things get bad for Jonah pretty quick. He falls asleep on the boat. There's a big storm. Everything gets really bad. And the sailors on the boat are scared that the boat's going to go down. So they wake Jonah up and they roll the dice to figure out who is it that God is angry at. If you're ever in a situation where you got to roll the dice to know who's in trouble, it's kind of a desperate situation. But it comes out that it's Jonah. And Jonah, I get this picture in my head, like raises his hand like, all right, guys, it's me. It's me. Listen, and he explains, listen, I represent the most high God who made the earth and the sea and everything that's in it. And he told me to go to Nineveh and I'm trying to run from him. That's a good confession from Jonah. But do you know what the sailors did? They said, what? What are you thinking? You worship the God that made the sea and now you're trying to run from him? Are you out of your mind? And he said, listen, it's okay, guys. I can fix this. Just throw me overboard and everything's going to be cool. And they say, you represent the God most high. We can't throw you overboard. He's going to get mad at us. So then they throw everything else overboard. They try to row to shore and the storm gets worse and worse and worse until they find like, we don't know what else to do. They basically say, God, don't hold this man's blood against us. And they throw him overboard. And then you know what happens? The storm stops goes quiet. And there's a verse that says the sailors worship the God most high. Now it's funny to me, the first person that does what God wants them to do in this story is the sailors. The first people that respond to God's word in their hearts are the pagan sailors. The God representative did the opposite of what God called him to do. And then you know the results. He gets thrown in the ocean. He gets swallowed by a fish. I'm not sure that that was an upgrade. Like if you're drowning and then you get swallowed, I'm not sure if you're like, oh, thank God you saved me. You're now inside of a fish. I don't think your uh, prospects for the future are that bright. Chapter two, he prays and God delivers him from the fish. Chapter two ends with him getting vomited onto dry land. Then he goes to Nineveh. He tells the Ninevites, 40 days and, the, and this city is gonna be overthrown. And what do the Ninevites do? Immediately they repent. It says from the least until the highest, the king all the way down, to the, the, they cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And the king says something like this. He says, 
if we will turn from our wickedness, maybe even now, like late, this late hour, God will relent from his judgment. And what did Jonah do? Jonah got mad. Because the end of chapter three says that God indeed relented from his judgment and it made Jonah angry. So Jonah goes on outside. He sits outside the, the city. He's waiting for the whole thing to get burned down. And Jonah's heart is wrong again. God can, the whole chapter four is about Jonah's heart. Here's my point. Just because you know scripture and because you have history with God doesn't mean you can respond to his voice the way you're supposed to. Jonah had everything right and still missed it. There's so many other examples of people that knew everything right and still missed it. Paul, the apostle, was formerly known as Saul. And Saul was trying to persecute Christians as a Pharisee that knew God's word inside and out. And still, when God's word spoke to him, he missed it. It wasn't until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus that everything for Paul changed. By this time, we should be teachers. But so many of us are still young in our faith and we're young in our understanding. We need to work hard to understand the scriptures. It tells us a story of how God has acted and spoken to people throughout history, but he's still speaking to us today. Seek his heart. We have to train ourselves to distinguish good from evil and that takes that constant use I want to read to you uh, as we get ready to close here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to look at 9 and 10. And it says this, 1 Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, the capital S, he is the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling us to be like him. If he is the building stone, he's the living stone. We are like him. We are living stones and he's building a spiritual house through us. And that spiritual house is going to be individual as, as you grow closer to God. But it's also going to be as a family, as your family grows closer to God. And as a community of faith like Calvary, as we all grow closer to God, the house changes. And it gets stronger because we're representing him, not only to, to the people around us, like the world around us, but we're also representing them to him. It's not just that we tell people about God, but it's that we tell God about the people that need him. We ask him to move and we ask him to, to change their hearts and lives. He continues in verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Fathers, parents, families, every believer here, we are building a spiritual house and every single one of us are those living stones. Be the people of God. Be this royal priesthood. Represent God to the people and represent those people to God. Be a holy nation and let us declare to each other and to the world around us the praises of the God that has called us out of darkness and into his light. Be like Jesus. Be filled with his word. Teach yourself to hear and know his voice. 
Practice by constant use so that you can be full and mature, not lacking in anything. You can be able to judge the hearts, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You can be able to build the spiritual house in your home. As we close, I want to tell you one more story. Uh, Many of you may know the story. January 15th this year was one of the hardest days of my life. We were playing at a friend's ranch north of town and uh, we had an accident and it ended with my youngest daughter, Allie, breaking her femur. And, uh, and that first couple hours was especially terrifying because we didn't know the extent of the internal damage. And we were an hour from the closest hospital and so we were afraid that there could be internal bleeding, we were afraid that her life could be in jeopardy. We had no idea until we got to the hospital. Once we got to the hospital, we felt a little bit better because we knew at least somebody was there prepared to take care of her needs, even if they were terrible. But one of the, the biggest things that came out of it is they couldn't find a pulse in her foot. And so we were afraid she could lose her leg. Maybe the trauma within her leg was so bad that it disrupted the circulation throughout her leg and we were really nervous about that. And we didn't have an answer to that for almost 24 hours until after the surgery the next day. And that 24 hour time period from the accident until we had a little assurance that things were gonna be okay, that was a time when I was broken before the Lord, where her needs far superseded my own. And so I beseeched God on my daughter's behalf that he would heal her leg, that he would make this okay, that he would uh, give us the strength to walk through this with grace and that we would love him and show that love to the people around us. We interacted with nurses and doctors and all kinds of different people throughout that time. And it was so difficult. It was very interesting, just like my dad had, had, had cared for me when I was tiny and can't remember, here we are caring for our daughter, daughter, praying that God would do something powerful in her life. You obviously know, praise God, she's running around here like a crazy person today and she barely is limping. We're four and a half, five months past the, the surgery and praise God, she is recovering very well. But it's the same moment, whether you're in crisis and it drives you to your knees or whether everything's going well, it's this idea that we have to Move our hearts to know the voice of God that wants to be close and near and a part of it. If we filled all these walls with all the lists of rights and wrongs, and we said, if you do all these things right, then you're going to please God, you still might be wrong. Only Jesus can help you know how to make decisions day in and day out. Only Jesus. That's all we have. So fathers, today you have a big responsibility to represent your family to God and to represent God to your family. And everyone else in here that you call yourself believers, we're priests, all of us. We're all priests. We're our own pastors. God has called us to lead ourselves well and to represent him to the world and represent the world to him. As we finish, a couple things I just want to encourage you with. One is to know God's word, you have to study scripture. Scripture is what opens our hearts to know how God has spoken throughout the ages. Knowing what he said helps us to know what he's saying. Right? Study scriptures. Know his word. In a few minutes, we're going to have our tithes and offerings. It's a part of our worship. It represents our hearts for the Lord. And if, if you give because of a, it's a duty, I mean, you can. But our tithes and offerings represent gifts to God in response to his spirit working in us. So give joyfully, give as the Lord calls. And in a few minutes we pray for that, that's gonna be up to you to decide how to do that. But listen to the voice of God in every area of our life, including our finances. Lastly, seek God as you represent God to your family and friends and the world around you and represent them to God. 
So often when we talk about missions, we're always about the proclamation of the gospel, but we forget there's the other side. There's a representation of the gospel. We're representing the lost people in our lives to God and asking that he would open their hearts, that he would reveal that voice to them. You know, the 7 billion people on the planet, all of them can uniquely hear the word of God in their hearts. Pray that God would reveal that word to them, that he would reveal his voice to them. And that's our task. And so church, would you stand with me as we pray? I'm gonna pray that God would just give us grace as we seek to represent God to the world around us and represent that world to our God. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your message of hope. We thank you for the life that you've given us. God, we thank you for these words in Hebrews and all the ways that you've made yourself known uh, throughout these 2,000 years. And God, I pray that you would help us to be the priests of our home. God, the priests of our neighborhoods and community. That God, you would call us to represent you well. That God, you would make your voice known to our hearts so that God, we can know the difference between good and bad. That God, we would know what's right and wrong and that God, you would use us for your kingdom. We pray that you would open the hearts of the lost, God, that they would hear that same voice, that you would beckon to them, that you would call to them, and that they would know you and that they would hear you and that they would follow you. God, we pray that you would be our God and that we would be your people. In Jesus' name.